This week in KMA Land, making the case for a new Page County Jail. Mayor airs pipeline objections at IUB hearing. More debate in Sydney over a multi-sport court. Page County supervisors reviewed turbine ordinance changes. And we'll look back at last Saturday's ShenFest parade. I'm Mike Peterson. Page County officials are getting the word out on a bond issue for construction of a new jail facility. Shenandoah High School's Gladys Worsick Jones Auditorium was the site of the first in a series of public information meetings on a $16.7 million bond issue for the proposed county jail on the November 7th general election ballot. Page County Sheriff Lyle Palmer joined officials of the Samuels Group in outlining the proposal, as well as issues of the existing 87-year-old facility. We want you to make your own decisions and decide whether or not you want to vote for a referendum of $16.7 million or not. That's your choice. Everybody has that choice in a democracy. And that's what we're trying to get across. Constructed on a portion of the county farm on the south side of Clarinda, just off U.S. Highway 71, the facility would house not only the jail but also the sheriff's office and the county's 911 dispatch center, or PageCom. Measuring more than 19,700 square feet, the new jail would include 38 general population beds and five special classification beds and meet 12 classification areas, as opposed to the current three with the existing facility. Palmer, however, says the proposed jail includes the bare essentials. It is safe, it is efficient, and it's a secure facility that we have come up with. But it's about the minimum that we think we can do at this time. I don't think you can cut anything else out of there and still be efficient for the citizens of Page County. And it is a tough job to say that because I'm looking at a building that hopefully goes for the next 50 years or more. Palmer outlined a long list of maintenance and safety issues of the current jail. He says the county has placed band-aids over tourniquets to keep the venerable jail operating. We're responsible to the taxpayers of this county as elected officials. And we're getting every penny out of that jail we can. There may come a time, and it may be, if this doesn't pass, it may be in February at our annual jail inspection. Jail inspector may say, you know what? We've nursed you along for a couple years because you guys have been talking and working on this. And now there's a vote, it didn't go, you're shut down. They have the power to do that. And our repercussions are, we fix whatever they're shutting us down for. That is basically what it comes down to. One estimate places the out-of-county inmate housing and transportation expenses at $516,000 if the existing jail is closed permanently. The second public information meeting on the jail bond issue took place in Essex Thursday night. Residents are also invited to attend the first public tour of the existing jail Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Tax information is available through a special website, pagecountyvote.com. Residents can enter their property's assessed value into a special widget to help determine the referendum's impact on property taxes. Emotional gripping testimony from a vocal KMA land critic headlined this week's Iowa Utilities Board hearing on a proposed carbon pipeline project. 
Marty Maher's family owns 332 contiguous acres encompassing three parcels of land near Imogene and within range of Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed Midwest Express CO2 pipeline. Maher is the latest in a series of witnesses in the IUB's evidentiary hearing on Summit's application for the proposed pipeline, which would span about 700 acres through western Iowa, including counties in KMA land. Maher says the pipeline's proposed path is less than 300 feet from his residence and less than 200 feet from grain bins. Maher calls the pipeline not feasible in terms of any future development on his property. Because of that pipeline, it has forced me to do landscape work. The landscape work includes terracing, tiling, preparing for it. It has forced me to do landscape work in anticipation of the IUB giving my land to Summit Carbon because I will not be able to do with this property and improve it the way I want to if Summit Carbon is given the easement over my dead body. Mayher also expressed concerns about the pipeline's proximity to a water well. Should there be a rupture anywhere in the area, that CO2 is going to go into the well. It's going to ruin that well. Because as we all know, compressed CO2 and water form carbonic acid. Now, to replace the well, according to the uh, well diggers that I've talked to and the plumbers, I'm talking a minimum of 25000 if something happens to that. Mayer also presented a graphic depicting a second alternative pipeline path, one he says would cut through his property in numerous terraces, but it's less objectionable than the current proposal. Though none of his family members are living on the farm, Mayer adds they're actively engaged in farming at the site. In emotional testimony, Mayer expressed fears of dangers posed to family members from any potential pipeline rupture. There is no way. I will ever agree to that pipeline in the location that it's at. I've been offered a lot of money. I don't care if I get a dime. It's not going to be fair. Mayher's testimony followed considerable debate between lawyers representing Summit and impacted landowners over the hearing's future schedule. Prior to Wednesday's hearing, IUB board chair Eric Helland announced that the Fort Dodge venue has been reserved for an additional week. More frustrations were aired in Sydney this week over a proposed multi-purpose court in the community. Residents spoke out at Monday night's Sydney City Council workshop regarding plans for the project at 909 Illinois Street. Funding from a potential $1.7 million community development block grant and a $25,000 neighborhood planning grant would cover the project's costs. Comments followed a motion for open discussion of the vacant lot during new business, which died for lack of a second. Sydney Fire Chief Dustin Sheldon expressed continued disappointment over the council's lack of discussion. He says the property was meant for a new fire department facility, presenting hard copies of a 2015 purchase agreement between the fire department and Sydney's Methodist Church. Sheldon also provided bank records of a $5,900 check from the fire department to the city to cover the acquisition and other inspections on the building. That was all deposited in there to the city for the Methodist Church acquisition. It's right there in the notes from the, from the bank. Methodist Church asbestos inspection samples of purchased Methodist Church property. That's what was in the notes. 
from the fire department's check that went back to the city. That was fire department money. So, fire department owned the property. It was put under the city's name for liability reasons for the insurance. That's why it was done that way. Sheldon also noted that when the church sold the property, it was under the impression it could take up to 10 to 12 years to construct a new facility. Russ Levy is a former council member who also spoke as a representative of the church. Levy pointed to meeting minutes from 2015 and 2021, showing then-Fire Chief Craig Marshall still working with the building committee to look into a new facility for the property. But Levy noted their concerns are not with the sports complex itself, but rather its location. The church is not against the pickleball basketball court. It's just the location. And I truly believe there's another thing, another place that this could be put and still be at a good location, central location. We can work together. If you just show us on this side that you're trying to do something. Warren Forbes is a business owner in Sydney and now a mayoral candidate for town. While acknowledging the church and fire department agreement, Forbes also pointed to the lack of movement of the property for the past eight years. My concern is that it's been that long ago and nothing's moved forward with the fire department. That concerns me. Are we going to be another 10 years? So what I'm asking is, I, I understand your frustration, but what are we going to develop for a plan to move it forward? That's not happening. That has not happened. More discussion regarding the proposed multi-sport court project is expected at a special meeting tentatively scheduled for Thursday at 6 p.m. at the Gathering Place in Sydney. Another week, another review of updated wind turbine regulations in Page County. At its regular meeting Thursday evening, the county's Board of Supervisors reviewed additions for an initial draft of an ordinance amendment governing commercial wind energy conversion systems. The board spent several months breaking down the 2019 ordinance by sections before reviewing a draft presented by County Attorney Carl Songson earlier this month. Supervisor Todd Mayher presented another suggestion from Worth County's wind ordinance, which deals with dust control on gravel roads for the vehicles transporting equipment during the construction of the turbine. They have it in their ordinance that um, on granular surface to haul roads, the applicant shall be responsible for applying dust control in front of residents and businesses to ensure that the treated areas are effective and remain effective for the duration of the use of during the construction phase of the project. So I thought well, that was it. something I don't know if we've ever talked about dust so. control, but it might be something that we'd like to have. Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes also presented a section regarding the lighting on turbines and adding aircraft detection lighting system requirements. Previously, the board extended a moratorium on CWEX permit to allow for the finalization of the ordinance. Once a draft is ready, the board is required to hold a public hearing and three readings on that particular ordinance. Outlined against a gray late September sky, the 2023 Shen Parade went off without a hitch. Not even the threat of rain, hail, and high winds could stop the Shenandoah High School marching Mustangs from storming Sheridan Avenue. <laughs> Under the direction of Elliot Smith, the band was just one of the parade entries taking a free ride in downtown Shenandoah Saturday afternoon. Approximately 70 entries participated in the traditional early fall parade. Usually, the event takes place amid sunny, warm conditions. This year, organizers like Skia Marketing Director Shelley Warner kept one eye on the parade and the other on the weather. Everyone else was more concerned with me, but I was probably just in denial. <laughs> but, no, we watched.
watched it all week long and, you know, watched it change earlier, later, and then finally today, it looks like, keep our fingers crossed, we'll get the parade done and from there on, we can deal with it. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen and others had a right to be nervous considering the community's recent track record with parade weather. You know, since we've had the canceled the last two uh, Fourth of July parades, it was a concern. You know, uh, we've been watching the last two or three days and we've just got our fingers crossed it's going to hold out and let us get the parade done. All those fingers and toes crossed must have worked as not a drop fell on the parade, which featured Kurt and Mims Hensdorf as Grand Marshals. Kurt says the annual parade is a great celebration for local residents and visitors. You know, the interesting part is I've got like 40, 50 classmates that are back, and it's not one of our reunion years. And they're coming from all over the country, as far away as California. And when when you get people that come routinely to a festival like this, uh, from all over, that's that's really beneficial. I think it uh, it keeps the spirit of Shenandoah alive, and that's important. Of course, every ShenFest parade is part of a class reunion. Bob Larson was a member of the SHS class of 1968, which participated in the parade. Larson and other classmates shared memories while riding in the parade. I think all the success that we've had uh, in uh, athletics back then, plus we were the last graduating class from the old high school before the new high school uh, was uh, introduced in 1969. So uh, that, uh, I guess we were the, the last graduating class from the old high school that doesn't exist anymore. With all the class reunions, bands, various queens, and other participants, McQueen says having the parade is vital to the community, rain or shine. It's one of those things I think the town itself needs to celebrate. You know, fall is coming, and so let, let's have one big blowout here uh, before we go into the uh, Christmas season, basically. So, you know, I, I'm excited. I think it's a, it's a great day in town. Richie Lee and the fabulous 50s band capped off the parade with a free concert outside the depot restaurant. Banners honoring veterans will soon hang from certain light poles in Clarinda. By a 4-1 to vote Wednesday evening, the Clarinda City Council approved the project presented by Colleen Strong, representing the Veterans Banners program in Clarinda. Plans call for hanging veterans' banners, displaying a veteran's picture, name, branch of service, and any special designations on light poles along Clarenda Boulevard encompassing 18th Street, Willow Street, Lincoln Street, and 13th Street. The banners would hang from Memorial Day through Veterans Day, with families purchasing the displays for roughly $75. Previously, city officials had expressed concerns over the older poles holding the larger banners and regarding potential vandalism. However, Strong says they proposed making the banners smaller. By decreasing the size of the banners to 16 inches by 20 inches, the bottom of the banner would be at 7 feet 4 inches from the ground. As a comparison, the banners on the black poles on the square, they're only 8 feet off the ground. There's not that much difference in them. On the vandalism issue, I feel that we as a community, along with parents and teachers, should instill in our young people that this is a part of our country's history and should be respected. Strong reiterated the purchase agreement for family members would state the purchaser is responsible for any damage that might occur to the banners while they're on display. However, they're contacting some insurance agencies to work out final details. City manager Gary McLarnon also suggested using the walking trail. However, Strong says there likely aren't enough poles to hang the amount of banners from interested families. There are only 11 poles. At the maximum, that gives us 44 banners. We've already got over 50 people that have expressed a desire to purchase banners, and some of them are multiple banners. So the, the trail really 
doesn't seem like a viable option. Those are a long ways apart down there. You wouldn't get the impact that you would get if they were on the boulevard. Mayor Craig Hill thanked Strong for addressing some of the city's concerns and agreed there aren't any other existing locations in town that would serve as a good suitor for the project. However, Hill says he'd like some city supervision over in volunteers who offered to install the double brackets on the poles. Like from me, I do not, I would not feel comfortable with you guys just going down there and putting them on our poles. And I'm not, you know, I would let, at least we'd have to have somebody there to, to supervise or at least know what we're getting into. Councilman Matt Ridge cast the lone dissenting vote. Shenandoah residents are getting an extra day to eradicate unwanted junk this year. By unanimous vote Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council approved a resolution setting a fall citywide cleanup day for October 28th. The fall event is a sequel to the popular spring cleanup days held in May. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman says the date was selected after talking with Shenandoah Sanitation and the city's street department. It'll be a Saturday only uh, from 8 to 4 p.m. That time of year, we're going to be losing daylight quick, so doing the afternoons might not work, but uh, hopefully most everybody can use that. Kind of give it a try, see if that helps. With uh, We have a lot of customers that come through. See what that does for the next cleanup, too. See if that helps average out those numbers. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen says residents have demanded an autumn cleanup event. I had a lot of them contact me after the spring one and wanted to know if this is something we could do in the fall to get rid of that stuff before winter. Shenandoah sanitation officials say the landfill will still be open that day for those wishing to dump leaves and other yard wastes. Plans for a new subdivision in Glenwood cleared another hurdle this week. During its regular meeting Tuesday night, the Glenwood City Council held a public hearing and approved the final plat for the Arbor Hills subdivision. Located just inside city limits in the northwest section of town, the subdivision is designed to provide more affordable housing for the community through the financial assistance of a community development block grant through the Iowa Economic Development Authority. Amber Farnan is Glenwood City Administrator. Farnan tells KMA News the final plat is one of the few remaining steps before the project leaders, Jim and Monica Hughes, can begin constructing houses in the area. We had previously approved the preliminary plat, and then they have to have the final plat approved before they can start putting basements and stuff in, or not basements, but houses. So we approved the final plat on Tuesday night. Uh, the next step is they'll record that plat over at the recorder's office um, and then once that's done, then they can start to pull permits to start building homes over there. Farnan says the project should address a growing need in Glenwood and surrounding communities, low to moderate income housing. There's like 50-some houses, and 40 of them will be low to moderate income houses. And those houses, the grant will help them keep the cost low, um, so they'll be very affordable. Another part of the project is the reconstruction of West 6th Street before constructing the roads within the subdivision. Farnan says crews have already begun near Elm Street and will work up to the 1200 block of 6th Street. So that street before was um, asphalt overlay. Um, it was in poor condition. Uh, these sides had been chipping off. Um, so they're going to go back. They're going to take all the overlay off, the chip and seal off, and they're going to go back with a new concrete road that includes curb and gutter, um, which was not over that way, and then also sidewalks on the south side. Construction crews struck a natural gas line Monday along 6th Street near the Elm, which resulted in nearby residents evacuating, but Farnan says the situation was resolved later that evening and residents returned to their homes. That wraps up this week in KMA Land.
Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.